So good to see you today. So good to have those of you joining us online. Um, it's quite a time, isn't it? We pray for one another. We pray for everyone's safety. Let me read you a little Christmas memory of my own. Would that be okay? I beg your indulgence as I indulge in a Christmas memory of my own. Ken, thank you for your Christmas memory. And Gigi, thank you for that. We pulled out the professional storytellers today. And thank you, worship team. You're such a blessing to us every week. Would you agree with that? Would you say amen to that? What a blessing to choose these songs, all of you who work on that, to sing together. My sweetest Christmas memories are some of those that come from the trips made to my grandparents' houses in South Bend, Indiana, and in Licking County, Ohio. One particular Christmas, we were on our way to the farm in Licking County, Ohio, making our way from Michigan through Indiana, and it was snowing like it should, which was festive and beautiful and at the same time adventuresome and dangerous. You could feel the concern in the tone of voice my parents used as they drove on through the snow in the night. But we made our way through the night, through Michigan, through Indiana, through Ohio, through Marion, through Mount Gilead. I don't know why in Ohio they call things Mount Anything, because there aren't any mountains there. Mount Gilead, Chesterville, Fredericktown, Mount Vernon, then south through Utica along State Route 13 to St. Louisville, our hearts beating a little faster the closer we got to Grandma's. And then we turned off the main road and wound our way through the country towards the farm to the base of Sadie's Hill. At that point, the, the road turned from asphalt to gravel and ice that night, and that's as far as we got without any help. I'm so glad there was ice on Sadie's Hill that night because I've cherished this memory for so many years. Dad, my dad, got out of the car, turned up the collar of his coat, and he braved the cold to hike over to Sadie's to use the phone to call Grandpa. And soon, there was Grandpa, astride his little Ford tractor, coming to the rescue, and he pulled us slowly up over that hill. Then we drove past the burger place, and then you could come to the top of the hill where there was the remnant of a remains of a split rail fence marking the property line there. When you saw that, you knew that in a moment you would turn to the east and there the house would be nestled in the valley under a blanket of snow that night. Warm light was coming from within. You could almost smell the coffee. You could almost taste the food. You could almost hear the lively banter of your loved ones. As an adult now, I realize that house was a very humble house. There was nothing new there, nothing updated about it. There was an old barn, there was an old hog barn, there was an old garage, there was an old corn crib, everything was old. There was an old dilapidated barn lying on the ground down east of the pond, and it was a place, a bit west of the pond, but it was a place of beauty, and it was a welcome place when you came there at Christmas time with your loved ones. And soon we'd be stomping off snow, and everyone would be saying Merry Christmas, and we'd be bearing gifts, the memory of it is almost too sweet to remember. Looking back, I realized that my grandfather and my grandmother, who lived through the Great Depression, saved all their life to buy this humble farm. And they were piecing it together with, literally, with nails they salvaged from the old barn that collapsed, and baler twine, and coat hangers, and duct tape, and whatever else they needed but didn't want to buy. It was such a wonderful place, but it was all built out of salvaged materials, out of ransomed materials. You see where I'm going with this? And it was beautiful, along with a little greenhouse on Auten Road, 
in South Bend. It is at the center of all my sweetest childhood Christmas memories. And it was a place of beauty, and it was a place of warmth, and it was a place of love and security and reunion, but it was just a humble place. Now the story from Luke chapter 4 that we've been studying in these Advent weeks before Christmas tide is a story of gathering raw materials from raw humanity. It's full of hope for all of us who will believe. My prayer is that the truth of it will embed itself deep in your heart like those memories are embedded in my heart from Christmases in the past and that it will transform your life again and again in a deeper way at a whole new level. Now that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, ambitious uh, goal, but it's the Word of God. So let's take our Bibles now and let's turn to Luke chapter 4 in the Word of God. And let's read again this incredible story from early in Christ's life. And let's see in it that we can come to a whole new level of experience with God than we have experienced before. This is in Luke and chapter 4. And Jesus here in Luke chapter 4, he had been led by the Spirit and the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And then he'd done his work in Galilee. A report went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues. Now, one of the synagogues in which he would come to teach would be in his home synagogue, where he went to Sabbath school, where he went to Sabbath, uh, to church, if you will, every Saturday. And this is the story now we're going to read. How will Jesus be received in his hometown? He's done all these things in other places. What will Jesus now do in his hometown? Jesus comes home, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Verse 16, 416. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Allow me to interrupt my reading with a comment about this. If this was the only place in the Bible that talked about regular worship attendance, it would be enough for me to devote myself to always being with God's people every Lord's Day because Jesus was with God's people every Sabbath. I, I'm, I'm, I might go online for a few weeks or I might go in person for a few weeks, but I would never neglect the Lord's Day like Jesus never neglected the Sabbath. That's um, something to think about. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That was his custom. That was his habit. But when he got there, the Bible says there in verse 16, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you'll quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. 
And he said, truly, I say to you, no, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land and Elijah was sent to, the, to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha None of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all the synagogue was, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. Passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus came to his hometown he made a beautiful and gracious offer. It was rejected. He was rejected. And nearly killed. He went his way. Let's walk back through this story. Jesus visited his hometown. He reads Isaiah 61 and, and a bit from Isaiah 58. And he pronounces that it is about him. Back up a bit and just see the gracious words that he said, the the, they are pregnant with promise and hope. Imagine that Jesus is offering himself, offering his work to these people in his hometown. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord, he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he says, this is the day for that. An incredible offer, a hope, incredible, hopeful offer. And initially, what he's talking about here is primarily spiritual. He says, I'm, I, I'm here, filled with the Holy Spirit, to proclaim good news. That's the evangel word, the evangel word we use the good, like, euangelion, good message, like angel. This word has a really interesting story behind it originally. As all the words that are translated herald or preach in the Bible, which preachers do like this, or men and women who witness do all the time, when you proclaim the truth of God, or when you give the gospel, or when you uh, discuss the gospel, there are different names for that that are translated in different ways this one has an interesting story behind it it comes out of a out of a setting like this imagine that you or loved ones the young men from your village have gone away to war and they're locked in a struggle you don't get regular tweet tweets from the front line you don't get regular information from the front line you have to wait you have to wonder if which way the battle is going and if your loved ones are going to survive and when the battle is won, they designate a person, maybe a fast runner, to run back and to proclaim to everyone that the victory is won. This is the evangel. This is the one bearing good news. This is the word that's used. And so Jesus comes to people who are sinners. He comes to people who are like us, morally bankrupt, like us, spiritually poor, like us, absolutely needy, like us, guilty as hell. 
and he sends a good news messenger. God sends a good news messenger who is God himself in the flesh. Come back to his hometown. I have good news for you. Those broken things in you, I can change them. Those guilty things in you, I can forgive them. Those dark things in you, I can bring light to those things. I'm here now. This is about to be inaugurated. This is about to begin. The kingdom is here. Repent your way into it. Believe. You've heard of all the things that I've done in all these other places. Now, I'm coming to you, but you have to humble yourself. You have to see yourself as poor. You have to see yourself as a slave. You have to see yourself as spiritually blind. You have to see yourself as spiritually oppressed. There is no good news for those who do not see themselves in need of good news. There is no good message for those who don't see themselves here in this as spiritually blind, spiritually poor, spiritually bound, spiritually oppressed. This is what he's saying. He says, I'm going to build something beautiful, but I'm going to build this beautiful thing out of broken things. I literally remember going to that old dilapidated barn when we would need something. My grandfather would not go to the farm and fleet. He, this was a man who lived through the Depression. He said, we already have nails. They're in the old barn. We would spend all morning gathering old nails, pulling old rusty nails out of boards, taking them back on the workbench, and he showed me how to hammer them straight and use them again and organize them into various different tin cans. So this is where the bolts were. This is where the screws were. This is where the hatch were. This is where the nails, this is the roofing nails. These are finished nails. We would save all those. All sitting around his garage are things he salvaged, things he redeemed, things he used again to build something useful on a scale unbelievable, on a cosmic and historic and heavenly scale. Jesus is saying, I'm going to come in the world and gather, somebody said, gathering ragamuffins, gathering people others had discarded, gathering people others had despised, gathering people that nobody thought anybody had any use for and making something beautiful of them. You heard of the explosion, this terrible explosion in Beirut, Lebanon not long ago. Horrifying explosion in Beirut, Lebanon. Devastated blocks and blocks killed many, many people. And aid poured in from all around the world. All around the world, people gave aid to this, this terrible tragedy in Beirut, Lebanon. But a local woman, her name was Hyatt Nazar. She was an artist. She was working in relief, trying to help people, going door to door, offering aid. And she would find something broken on the sidewalk, and she would save it. After a while, she had gathered broken things everywhere she went in Beirut, Lebanon. She was an artist. She was a sculptor. As a mosaic sculpture, she created a beautiful sculpture. It stands there today. Look this up on the internet. It's a, it's a sculpture of a little girl that looks almost like Lady Liberty holding a, a lantern. And it's made all of broken things, made all of things that came out of this horrifying explosion. Jesus comes to town, and Jesus comes to our life, and he says, give me your broken things. Give me your temptations. Give me your failures. Give me the things that you don't want anybody to know about because I am the king of kings and I am the creator of God and I will make something beautiful and I'll make something eternal out of that. But you have to be willing to admit that you have broken things to give me. Will the people in his hometown do that? He knows they will not. 
Luke is subtle. He's brilliant, but he's subtle. And the way that Luke tells stories has a brilliance to it, a, a simplistic, a simple brilliance to it. The things that he adds, the things that he leaves out, they're all there or not there for a reason. He doesn't really say specifically what they did or what they said. They question, isn't this Joseph's son? And then Jesus almost, it's like someone says, this is the text where Nazareth rejects Jesus. But when you read just this passage and neither of the parallel passages in Matthew or in Luke or Mark, you would think, well, no, this is the passage where Jesus rejects Nazareth. And there is a sense of the sovereign will of God in this. But in Mark and Matthew and in Luke, it says that he rejected them because of their unbelief. They, they marveled at his words, his gracious words, but they didn't fully believe. They liked the idea of good things happening, but they weren't willing to trust this local hometown boy to make good on the promises that he was implying. And so he knew that they were going to reject him. He knew that they were going to resist him and they rebel against him. And as a result of that, he told them two proverbs and two stories. Let's look at those proverbs. The first proverb was, he says to them, by the way, don't you love it when people put words in your mouth? Oh, I know what you're thinking, Ed. You're thinking, I wish you would stop talking so I could go to lunch. You're not thinking that, no. Um, you're, you're, uh, you, 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 that's not fair for me to put that in your head. You, what you were actually thinking was, this is a fascinating sermon. That's what you were thinking, yeah. Um, but I don't like it when people put thoughts in my head. But I, I decided this week I would modify that. I don't like it when people put words in my mouth. I don't like it when people put thoughts in my head unless they're the omniscient son of God then he might tell me something I'm thinking that I don't even realize I'm thinking. And he says to these people, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, physician, heal yourself. You're not exactly rich. And here you come talking about making the poor rich. And was, just, was his dad still living? Did he heal his father? That you display your goods. That rather than them, so, so, so in other words, the good news is for people who are willing to place themselves in the categories here of poor and blind and broken and oppressed. It's and who believe in Jesus. It's not for those who say, I, I, uh, I think you, you must be a wonderful person. You go help those poor, broken, blind, oppressed people. So as a result of that, he says to them, no doubt you will get, tell me the proper position, heal yourself. The second proverb that he quoted was, um, a prophet is not honored in his hometown, the way it's translated here in the ESV version that I happen to be using is truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. I was dispatched last night to the store to buy some spring water. So there was some irony in this. I went to the store and I dutifully obeyed and I bought a couple of cases of genuine spring water and then I brought it home and I went back to my desk to work and I thought I'll take some genuine spring water with me to my desk 
and I went back to my desk and I thought, I wonder where this genuine spring water came from. There's a beautiful picture on the label. I looked at the little print. I live, by the way, if, in case you don't know, I live in the beautiful idyllic countryside of Jackson County, Michigan. Not everybody gets to, but I do. In a particularly lovely little spot where the water is pretty good. Anyway, on the bottle it says, from a source in Jackson County, Michigan. From a, from a spring in Jackson County, Michigan. I went to the store and bought spring water from not too far away. And I didn't feel all that excited about it because, I mean, after all, I can walk over to the spigot and open it up and I can get water from Jackson County, Michigan right there. But now, if you lived maybe in, oh, some horrifying spot like Alabama or Ohio and you read that bottle, you might think, well, this is wonderful. This is from that beautiful Mitten State, you know, where that pure Michigan place. And this is spring water from Jackson County. And you would be happy that you paid your money. That's the proverb is true. Uh, the prophet from the hometown is often likely to be rejected, not to be seen as special. I don't want to belabor this, but I write and people read it from all around and I hear from them every week. And I remember a lady wrote me from Vermont, a state where I haven't visited, and I'd love to visit Vermont in the fall, wouldn't you? Just seems like it'd be wonderful. And uh, she wrote me from Vermont, and she says, I love the way you describe Michigan. I've always wanted to visit there. I'm like, yeah, well, come and see it. You would love it. It's a wonderful place, unique. But there's this in us, it, because Jesus was a hometown boy. They thought, oh, it's impossible that he could be the miracle worker. They rejected him. Jesus then tells them two stories. There's the Elijah story and the Elisha story. One is from 1 Kings, the other is from 2 Kings. They're interesting stories. They're different and they're alike. He's such a masterful storyteller. He's such a masterful communicator. He drops these two proverbs on them, and now he tells them their own story, their own history, their own stories. Elijah the prophet, Elisha the prophet. What do they do? They, they bless, they go past people who are from Israel that have needs, and they go to Gentiles who have needs. Elijah passes other widows in Israel and goes to a widow in Zarephath in Sion, Sidon, up north, a Gentile. From kind of from Lebanon area now. He goes past all these widows from Israel to go bless a needy widow who's a Gentile. The second story is similar. And by the way, that's a story to read in 1 Kings 7. That's an amazing, gorgeous story to read. You read those stories, you see that Jesus goes to this widow, or I'm sorry, Elijah goes to the widow, and there's a famine that he is actually initiated with God at God's direction of three and a half years and it's this widow that has a little boy and they have come to the end of their food and Elijah goes can I have that food she says you know if I give you this food we're gonna die he says if you give me that food I'll see to it you never run out and she trusts him and never runs out this is a short and truncated version of a really beautiful story and then after that, what happens to her boy? 
he dies. And after that, what happens? God gives Elijah power to raise him from the dead. Everybody knew that story about the Gentile widow. And then there was the Elisha story from 2 Kings about Naaman, the leper. And Elisha overlooks all these lepers from Israel and heals a leper from Syria. When I went to Israel, they looked at my passport. They said, if you have a stamp from Israel, you can never visit Lebanon. They're at war. You can't go to Lebanon if you have a stamp from Israel. It was this way then. The people in Nazareth were grinding their teeth when he was telling them these stories. You're the hometown boy, and you won't do these miracles here. You'll go to other, and he says, well, this has always been the way of it. Prophets get rejected, they go to others, and that's what's going to happen here. Now, Luke is telling this story. It's no incidental story. Luke is probably a Greek himself. He certainly has written this book to a Greek. He was written to Theophilus, and it was written in a sophisticated language. Luke was a, was a physician. He was well-trained. His writing was particularly sophisticated. He was, if he was a Gentile, and many believe that he was, the scriptures themselves don't say he was, then he was the only Gentile writer of scripture. And if Luke was a Gentile, and he wrote more, a Gentile wrote more of scripture than did the apostle Paul himself, who wrote 14 books of the Bible, or John himself, who wrote these three, two of which are large books of the Bible. This is interesting. When you read Luke, and when you read Luke-Acts, you, what you see is over and over and over and over and over, and I'm not exaggerating this, he tells stories that are gotcha stories, that, that have a twist of irony in them, that are saying, look what Jesus is bringing you. Oh, wait, here's a Gentile who's received it. Look, what God ha- look, look at this man who has a need. Oh, wait, all the Jewish people are stepping over him, and here's a Gentile who helps him. Here is a a, 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 a sinner who's violated everything, uh, who's a, a young man who's violated every kindness his father has given to him and gone off to, and he's eaten with hogs. Good Jewish boys don't eat with hogs. And he's come back and they're throwing a big party for him and you're complaining about it. This is just the way it is in Luke. I have a little New Testament, uh, the, an NIV New Testament. I, I was given this a few years ago and I liked the way it felt. I liked the way that it was laid out, and I thought, I'll take this with me to camp. So I took this little NIV New Testament with me up to camp near Traverse City, and while I was preaching that week, anytime I was done preaching and the kids were engaged in something else, I went back to my room, or I went to the lake, or I went hiking somewhere, and I found a spot where I could sit on a rock, or, and I read the New Testament. I read the entire New Testament that week. I read it with a highlighter, and I asked the Lord, show me, you know, the themes in the New Testament. One theme that stood out to me so clearly, and it will stand out to anyone who reads the New Testament to get the sweep of the story, is that the story of the New Testament is that Jesus Christ is redeeming a people to himself from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. This is the sweeping, beautiful saga, the story of what Jesus is doing. He's a missionary God, and he sent us in a missionary thing, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's talk about you right now. How do you find favor with God? How do you put yourself in a place where God will heal you, will help you, will set you free, will pour his gifts out upon you? 
you humble yourself, you honestly admit your need, you see yourself as blind, you see yourself as bound, you see yourself as poor, you see yourself as spiritually broken. This is his mission. The mission of Jesus was to come to a world looking for broken people and take them and redeem them and put something beautiful together. But because he implied that he was going to go to the Gentiles, they hated him for that. And they were, it, it, it elicited in them a homicidal wrath. So look at their angry reaction, verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, drove him out of town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built. So they would throw him off a cliff. Now, if you visit Nazareth today, it's, it's, it's blossomed, if you will. It's grown into a, a pretty good-sized city. But if you visit there today, and there still is quite an antagonism in Nazareth against Jesus in that part of the world. But if you visit there, one of the places they will take you is this cliff where they believe. And it's a start. You can see all throughout the countryside. And it would be a frightening place to be drawn, dragged, be cast off. What a way to treat the hometown boy. And yet God, somehow in an understatement, Luke doesn't explain how it happens. He just walks away. And as a wonderful aside, let me just say to you, and this is true from my own personal experience, until God is done with you, no one's going to hurt you. God will, he may allow you to be injured. He may allow you to be martyred. He may allow you to suffer, but it won't be outside of his sovereign control. And if he wants to deliver you, he can deliver you. I know what you're facing, who's down on you, who's against you, what circumstances that you have. You may feel very much like the underdog and the system's against you or people are against you. But Jesus was delivered here, but the people had rejected him. Jesus offered good news to those who humble themselves, who confess their desperate need, who believe. Now listen, Jesus still offers, still offers good news to all of us who will humble ourselves, believe, and listen, this is true for salvation. You know this. In other words, this is the gospel, the good news. Christ came looking for those who have sin and guilt on their account, if you will, and he paid the price for their sin, and when they believe, they pass from death unto life immediately and receive the gift of eternal life. But they have to humble themselves and receive that. Have you done that? He still offers that even to you today. And in your own heart, if you haven't already received Christ. And you, you, then even now, in the quietness of your heart, Jesus, I believe that I am a broken, lost sinner. And I believe that I'm guilty. And I believe that you died for me. And you will pass from death unto life. You'll become a child of God. But listen, it, it was never intended to stop there. I know most of you that are looking at me, you're devout Christians. You're believers. You're here because you believe. And I have something to tell you. And it's this. There are yet gifts for you that God would have you believe for something more than salvation. God would have you believe for something more than just being delivered from hell. But continue to believe for God to work in your life to give you a joy you never thought you could have, 
to set you free in an area that you never thought you could be set free. To have a level of joy that you never had before. A level of freedom that you never had before. A level of deliverance that you never had before. I've experienced it. I want to experience it more. I want you to experience it as well. People request things from the church often, and we want them to request things from the church. For instance, it is Communion Sunday, and on Communion Sunday, we often remind you to give a little bit of extra if you can, so we can put it in our benevolence fund. We want to just give to people, and they don't have to be Bethel people. They could be people that don't come to Bethel. They could be people that don't ever come to Bethel. But listen, here's one thing I've noticed. Frequently, there is a category of folks who basically are just kind of working the system, right? You know this. They just like, hey, I want this or I want that. And, you know, they don't want to know us. <laughs> they don't want to love us or let us love them. They just say, hey, give me a handout. Well, sometimes you just do that. But you just want to go, oh, there's so much more here. I wish you could, I wish you could meet my brother who, when he found out that my dishwasher didn't work, he insisted on coming out and taking it apart and putting it back together so it would work. I wish you could meet the guy who comes out and hunts my property. Not mine, but I'm speaking in apocryphal terms. And he comes back and he cuts wood for me. He's a part of the family. Or that woman who makes all those quilts, you know. She would make a quilt for you if you were cold. In other words, Jesus says, I, I don't just want to give you things. I want you to be in my family. I want to keep giving you things over and over again. And as many of you that are sitting here today, there's something you need from the Lord. Don't you doubt he can give it. He can do whatever it's his will to do. But will you humble yourselves and will you receive those gifts? This is like salvation and sanctification, holiness, becoming like the Lord, growing in the Lord, new levels of holiness. I was at a conference one day. And uh, I was fairly young, younger than I am now. And I was at this conference, and a man gave a testimony. A big African-American guy. He walks to the front of the room, and he says, uh, he tells a story about having a whole new level of moral purity, he says. He said, I have, uh, by God's grace, I have discovered there's a whole new level of moral purity in my secret thought life I never thought existed before. And I was sitting there thinking, hmm, that would be really good. Because sometimes this just beats me up, you know. So I listened to what he said. I took notes. And the men that spoke after him, I, I took notes of what they said. Because I wanted a, another level of, of just pure thinking in my mind. Grieved me to think of times I had failed in my thought life. And I, and I got in my van that night, and I drove home, and I never turned the radio on. I just prayed, and I began to pray. And you know what God did? It wasn't the funnest story I would ever tell, but he gave me a whole new level of moral purity. I know the thrill of victory, and I know the agony of defeat in that. And that's not the only area. Could you use a whole new level of joy? Could you use a whole new supernatural level of patience? Could you use a whole new supernatural level of faith, of hope, of trust, of all the virtues that God would give you? Like, say yes, say yes, I'm needy, God. Jesus is in town. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Remember that hymn? Do you remember the, the old, old spiritual? They say that people from Africa sang it, and they brought it to America. Come by here, Lord. Come by here. People crying, Lord. Come by here. Kumbaya. People dying, Lord. Come by here. That's what we're saying. 
Jesus, please don't leave town till you bless me. Please don't leave town till you save me. Please don't leave town till you deliver my little girl. Please don't leave town, God, till you save my kids. Don't leave town till you give me my neighbor that I can witness to them and they can come to the Lord. Is there something you want to do, Lord? Here's a believing person that doesn't have anything. My grandpa, he used to say, I think he got it from somebody else, but he used to say, I used to think, here's what he would say, I used to think that God's greatest gifts were on the top shelf and you have to climb up to get them. But now that I've walked with the Lord for a while, I realize that God's greatest gifts are on the bottom shelf and you have to kneel to get them. You have to humble yourself to get them. I offer to you today, on behalf of Christ, uh, that Jesus can do in your life whatever he wills and desires. What are you going to believe him for? What are you going to ask him for? There was a man one day who had a total wreck, morally, spiritually, bad, bad guy. And God, in a whole new way, dawned on him one day. Later, he wrote about it. He said this, and, and I'm quoting this man. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. He appointed me to service. Though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent, an opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed in me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy. It's deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. There's a whole new level of whatever it is you need available if you humble yourself and if you will believe. We had a Christmas one year when all the kids were still at home. And our son Daniel was training at a Bible college in Grand Rapids. And Daniel wrecked his car that year. It was on the family insurance policy. We've had insurance with the same carrier for 15 years, and we don't have a single claim. I was unhappy when I found out about that. He was well, but his car had, oh, a bit of $5,000 worth of damage to the front end. And there was a $500 deductible, and it was Christmas time. And he's a good boy, and I had a little extra. And I said to him, well, don't worry about it, buddy. Thank God you're well. I'll pay the deductible. And I remember him going, Dad, you don't have to do that. I go, well, Dan, you're doing what we want you to do. Don't worry about it. We'll just call it your Christmas gift this year. He said, oh, this is a generous gift. He was so grateful. So at Christmas time, everybody else got a gift, you know. And Dan was there, tender-hearted kid, tender. He was sitting there over on the edge of the couch, and everybody got their gift. Mom opened a gift, I opened my gift, kids opened their gifts. He was kind of quiet. He'd already had his gift, you know, and it was a large gift. And we got all done, he was sort of quiet, and Lois says to him, Danny, you know we got you a gift, right? He goes, I know. She says, there's a little something more in the trip. I don't know if you saw it. It's kind of back in the corner. W would you get it for me? Danny gets under the tree, and he crawls back, and he gets a hold of this box. It has his name on it. It was a brand-new iPhone. He bursts into tears. You didn't have to do that. Can I just tell you, 
the gift-giving God of heaven, the one who invented this Christmas thing, is eager to give you whatever it is that you really need. Will you humble yourself and believe him for it? Stand with me, would you please? And bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, right now, folks are going to be coming to pray with you. I know we want to be careful here. Be very careful. Some of you want to slip quickly away and get home. Some of you, though, might want to come and have somebody pray with you. Can I suggest this? That you tell somebody what it is that you need to believe God for. Like that lady told me, I need to be more patient with these people that I work with, and God give me help in that. You know, what is he telling you to believe him for? What will you believe him for? What gift will you receive from him? And maybe today, after I pray, and the music plays, you'll want to come, and these that are coming now, and that will pray with you, you can tell them how they can pray for you. But maybe one of you is not sure you're saved. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing here in Advent to just say, oh, I need you, Lord. I'm a sinner. I know I am. I want to believe. I want to trust you. Hey, I bought a desk from a man really sweet man and over by lake st Clair a number of months ago bought this desk i liked him I just we just had a little brief exchange i thought he was a neat guy and i uh yesterday day before day before i saw some correspondence from the business that come across and i t- sent him a picture of my desk on my desk a bible was open he wrote me back he says you're a minister right i go i am he says please pray for my father-in-law he came home he's on hospice and i wrote him back and i said well does he have anybody to minister to him and he said no i said could i could i come over and visit him and he was super grateful i got a chance to go over and visit this dear elderly man on his on his deathbed and to give him the gospel he couldn't talk we weren't sure he could hear I thought to myself, I wish I could have met him earlier. I wish I could have pressed into this earlier. Helped him make sure that he knows that he's right with God. Today, you have a chance. You're breathing. You're alive. You get this right. Make sure. You're among friends here. We love you. If you haven't received Christ, receive him today. It's simple. Jesus did the hard stuff. Father in heaven, Thank you for these who have assembled in your name today. It's been a blessing to be here, to see their faces, to see that they've expressed, and many who are watching online who love you too, Lord. We're expressing our love for you. We're expressing our need for you. Lord, we're humbling ourselves before you. I pray that you would save those who are still lost, and I pray for the rest of us who know the Lord that we would go to a new level of joy or a new level of patience or a new level of obedience or a new level of purity or a new level of love for one another i pray lord that you would inspire in us faith to claim from you the gifts that you were so eager to give in jesus name we pray amen god bless you